moment now Here in this place I stand To you I pledge my life To you I lift my hands You opened up my eyes I am forever changed I cannot stop this fire
we have a quick video. Joseph? Yeah, I know Joseph. I guarded him in the prison for years. I'll tell you about Joseph, that arrogant little brother of mine, dad's favorite. And all those dreams he was always talking about? Give me a break. I'm glad we sold him to those travelers. <sighs> His wisdom saved my family from starvation. He worked for me for a little while. Then I had him thrown in prison. Of course I know him. He's my dad. My most trusted advisor. I don't make a move without asking him first. Time for Joseph. <laughs> well, good morning. Good morning. Okay, we're all here, and no one is complaining about the eighty-degree days, are we? Nope. I'm just saying. I promised you an eighty-degree day, and we got a few of them already, so we're we're coming along well. I'm as good as the TV announcers, then, I guess. Oh. <laughs> there we are. Um, a couple of announcements. Uh, very important. Uh, next Saturday, which is the 18th, we are having a celebration of life for Vince Stoltz. Uh, and that's uh, all of you are welcome from 2 to 4. Uh, come and celebrate his life with us. Uh, but due to the timing of the celebration, we're going to need people to come together on Friday evening to take down VBS, which is going on all this week. And it's going to be pretty frantic in here. Right after the uh, VBS is done, we're going to take all the decorations down, so we need a lot of hands to help us do that. Makes it a lot easier the more people there are. But then again, VBS needs help this afternoon to prepare for VBS, which starts tomorrow, and we need to move all these chairs out so they can decorate all day to make this into an Egyptian marketplace. So enjoy your time, but Please help us this afternoon, taking down the chairs right after, is it right after service? Right after service. And then uh, next Friday evening. Uh, that's all we have. Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Uh, would everybody please stand? We're going to spend some time worshiping our Lord and Savior. Um, Father God, we acknowledge you this morning, God. We acknowledge that... Uh, our life is not our own. Um, we want to surrender to you this morning. We want to put aside all of our uh, worldly distractions, God, and we just want to focus on you this morning. Uh, we want to celebrate you, God. You are so worthy of praise. We love you, Lord. It's in your name I pray.
death was arrested my life began ash was redeemed only beauty remains my orphan heart was given a day
thousand stories of why they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whispers of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I Searching for answers far and wide, but I know we're all searching for answers. Only you provide, cause you know just what we need and for we say a word. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. Cause you're perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who 
worship the name of Jesus. We bow before you, Jesus. There is no other name but Jesus. Amen. Y'all can have a seat. morning we want to recognize, honor, applaud, whatever you want to say to our graduating seniors. We have three this year that are graduating high school, at least those that have told us they are graduating high school. Um, And I'm going to ask those three if they would just come forward right now. You love this, don't you? Oh, yeah. I love it. This is, this is great right here. Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell us your name, where you went to high school, and what your plans are from this point forward. Okay. I'm Anthony Ambrosetti. I went to Yorktown High School, and I'm going to go to Ball State for digital media production. That's digital right. media production at yeah. Ball State. Yeah. Very good. Awesome. Exciting. Awesome. My name is Ben Blakely. Uh, I was homeschooled, and I'm going to travel. Homeschooled and travel. David Job, I was homeschooled too, and I am a drummer looking for a band. Drummer looking for a band. (laughs) If you know of a band that needs a drummer, David is your man. All right. Guys, you have put in a a lot of work. Uh, Okay, maybe not as much as maybe you should have at times. (laughs) I remember those days. Uh, but God has some incredible plans for you. And uh, just as you remain faithful uh, and God reveals that step by step, we're just going to pray for you and stand uh, with you uh, in that, uh, with that. So join with me uh, in prayer uh, for these men. And we also want to remember um, Ed Fredericks and uh, his wife Lynn, uh, who has uh, is actually... Uh, on life support right now and is not doing well um, and the prognosis is not good we want to continue to remember uh, Gloria Barker as well and uh, any others that you may you may think of. Father we are grateful that you are a God of of grace, that you are a God of mercy. Uh, Father that you have plans for us, that you are working your will. So, Lord, I I pray for Anthony and Ben and David as they are taking this next uh, big step uh, in life, Uh, as they are stepping into uh, adulthood in many ways, as they are stepping into the future and and the unknown. And, Father, that you would guide them, direct them, keep them close to you, reveal yourself, reveal the steps to you. Uh, Lord, that that they might see clearly. Uh, where you are guiding them, where you are directing them, that they would serve you diligently uh, with their life. And Father, we, we thank you for milestones. We thank you for times like this when we can look back and see your faithfulness and know that as we go ahead, you will remain faithful. 
that you will continue to guide our steps, continue to show us the ways you would have us to go. Father, we do pray this morning, Lord, for, for Ed and Lynn and the girls. Lord, in this time of uncertainty, this time of, of just relying and waiting upon you, I pray that you or your presence would be known, would be felt. Lord, that your peace that passes all understanding would be a reality in that hospital room. Father, we pray for, for David and Gloria uh, as they continue uh, to walk through the unknown and the uncertainty of days ahead. And uh, Lord, we, we pray for strength. We pray for healing. Father, we, we live in a world that is many times backwards. Uh, Lord, that many times takes us on a tailspin of uncertainty, of unknown. And so, Lord, thank you that you are a God who sees the beginning and the end. That you are the Alpha and the Omega. Father, that you will lead us step by step. That you will never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you for walking with us. For guiding us. Father, we just praise your name. In Jesus' name, amen. Gentlemen, thank you. You can go sit down if you want. Or you can stay up here if you want to. I was a young pastor, probably 31 or 32, somewhere in there. When I say that, I realize that was 20 years ago, which now just makes me kind of an older pastor. Um, but I had been at the church that I was serving at at that time for about six years when the senior pastor stepped down and moved to another church in another town in another state. And when you are the only other staff pastor, the assistant pastor, a lot of that responsibility then falls on you. And so I took on a lot of the lead or senior pastor roles during that time. It was during this time that a family that had been a part of the church for quite a while had decided that they were going to kind of start looking around, not knowing what was going to happen with the pastor leaving, new pastor coming in, and they just decided this was a good time to kind of test the waters and see what else was out there. And they visited one of the other Alliance churches in the town that we were in. And after they visited a time or two, the senior pastor of that new church called me and said, Hey, I have this family coming, and I know they were a part of your church, and you know what, what, what's up? What's with them? I just wanted to let you know that they you know, had been here, and, and what can you tell me about them? And so I very honestly began to describe the family as I knew them and, and, uh, and they were a great family and, and involved and I said but I did have a couple concerns um, and shared those concerns with them that as a pastor you, you need to know this you need to understand this as they're walking into your fellowship into your part of the body that senior pastor, the next time he met with that family, shared with them exactly what I had said and where he had heard it. 
I was met with a phone call and a letter suing me for slander, that there were going to be lawyers involved, that what I had said was unfair, was not right, was not true. And I went, what is up with that? We walked through a year-long process of mediation, of sitting down and talking. Lawyers never got involved, but it got really ugly at times. There was uncertainty as to me moving forward in ministry. For honesty. Now, after a year, the, the whole thing ended in a handshake and the other person just dropping the issue. Now, the other senior pastor never once apologized. Never once said, you know, I should not have done that. And all of the blame on the situation was placed upon me for having just simply, from my best opinion, answered his question. There's still some scars from that ordeal. From the accusations, from the questions. There are probably some trust issues if I were to dig down deep enough. But I've learned you have to be careful what you say and who you say it to. Even when you think they can be completely trusted. You try to do the right thing. It blows up in your face. One thing that we have learned as we have been walking through this diary or this book of Nehemiah is that life doesn't always go smoothly. Even when we're doing the right thing, it doesn't always go as planned. Even when we're, when we're setting out to, to serve God and, and give Him our all, it still doesn't always go right. It still doesn't always go smooth. And in the midst of all of that, in the midst of those times, it's easy to lose hope. It's easy to lose focus. It's easy to concentrate on the thing instead of what God is doing. Nehemiah was serving God 900 miles away from home, doing the one thing he was convinced that God had called him to do in a city that he had only heard stories about, and it seemed that at every turn he faced opposition. He faced threats. He faced discouragement. That it was just constantly trying to keep the people up, keep them motivated, keep them moving, keep them going, to accomplish what he was sure God had called him to do. I don't know too many Christians that don't have aspirations of doing great things for God. That we want our life to matter. We want to know that we are doing something significant. That we are doing great things. Every week we've kind of given out a, a principle, a renewal principle, 
as we've walked through, and I don't know if you remember the one three or four weeks ago, renewal principle number six. Quote it for me. Wherever we go to work for God, we will face opposition. There you go. It's good to have a cheat sheet. Wherever you are going to go to work for God, we will face opposition. And we have to know that. We have to be ready for that. We have to be prepared for that. What we learned from from Nehemiah here in chapter 6, where we're going to be looking this morning, is that, that there are things that will always hinder a great work. And there, are, there is something that we can do about it. There's things that are always going to hinder. They're always going to be there. You're always going to be facing them. And Nehemiah did two things. And we're going to look at those this morning. So turn with me to Nehemiah chapter 6. And we want to look at these things that are going to hinder a great work and what Nehemiah did about them. Nehemiah chapter 6 verse 1. And we'll read the entire chapter. When Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem, the Arab, and the rest of our enemies heard that I had rebuilt the wall and that no gap was left in it, though at that time I had not installed the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me a message. Come, let's meet together in the villages of the Ono Valley. But they were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same proposal. And I gave them the same reply. Sanballat sent me this same message a fifth time by his aide, who had an open letter in his hand. And it was written, it is reported among the nations. And Geshem agrees. Well, if Geshem agrees. That you and the Jews plan to rebel. This is the reason you are building the wall. According to these reports, you are to become their king and have even set up the prophets in Jerusalem to proclaim on your behalf, there is a king in Judah. These rumors will be heard by the king. So come, let's confer together. Then I replied to him, there is nothing to these rumors you are spreading. You are inventing them in your own mind. For they are all trying to intimidate us, saying they will become discouraged in the work and it will never be finished. But now, my God, strengthen me. I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, son of Mehetabel, who was restricted to his house. He said, let us meet at the house of God inside the temple. Let us shut the temple doors because they are coming to kill you. They are coming to kill you tonight. But I said, should a man like me run away? How can I enter the temple and live? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him because of the prophecy he spoke against me. Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He was hired so that I would be intimidated, do as he suggested, sin, and get a bad reputation in order that they could discredit me. My God, remember Tobiah and Sanballat for what they have done. And also Noadiah, the prophetess, and the other prophets who wanted to intimidate me. The wall was completed in 52 days. On the 25th day of the month Elul, When all our enemies heard this, all the surrounding nations were intimidated and lost their confidence, for they realized that this task had been accomplished by our God. During those days, the nobles of Judah sent many letters to Tobiah, and Tobiah's letters came to them. For many in Judah were bound by oath to him, since he was the son-in-law of Shechaniah, son of Ara, and his, his son, Jehanahan, had married the daughter of Meshulam. Anybody want to finish reading this for me? 
son of Berechiah. These nobles kept mentioning Tobiah's good deeds to me, and they reported my words to him, and Tobiah sent letters to intimidate me. There are some things that we can count on always hindering a great work. If we want our life to be about a great work, if we want our life to matter, we can always count on certain things that are just going to come in and they're going to hinder that work. The first one that Nehemiah had to face was, was distractions. There's always going to be distractions. There are always going to be, be distracted by good things. These aren't always bad distractions. It says, Sambalot and Geshem sent me this message. Come, let us meet together in one of the villages on the plain of Ono. Well, okay, this is, this is the, the people who were trying desperately to thwart me, to stop me, who had threatened me and my own life and the whole city, that were going to come and attack and knock the wall down. And now, they want to be my friend. They want to come alongside. That's a good thing, isn't it? We've finally broken down this barrier, and now they want to meet with me. We can get caught up in good things. They were going to try the buddy system. There was still hope. As far as Sanballat and, and Tobiah and Geshem were concerned, that, that they, the, the walls were done, but the, the gates weren't finished. There were still ways that they could get in. Let's just come alongside them. They had started out just mocking Nehemiah in chapter 2. And then they kind of upped the ante with some verbal abuse and physical threats in chapter 4. And now here in chapter 6, it's, well, let's just flip this thing all the way around and buddy up to him. Let's just be nice. Let's distract him. Let's pull him off the job. Let's meet with him. Four times they tried this. And Nehemiah all four times gave the same reply. The world does that to us, do they not? Sometimes not intentionally, but usually when we set out on a new spiritual journey or we decide to focus on one of those five little words that we talk about, about growing in intimacy with Christ, about living out the fruit of the Spirit in all the relationships around us, when we set out to serve God using our spiritual gifts, when we set out to tell our grace story to those that we come in contact with, when we set out to steward our lives with the, the, uh, the renewal principle about revisioning our life, revisioning our time, revisioning our talents, revisioning our treasure, to where our life begins to reflect the vision of God, Distractions are right there. Satan is right there with reasons why it won't work. He's right there with reasons why you can't do it, with reasons to just slow down. Just, just hang with us. Don't go so fast. You don't need to do it all. Sometimes we're, we're distracted to, to compromise our commitment. And instead of going full bore into it, we kind of back up. We begin to, to look at what we're going to give up by, by getting real serious. Satan has a, the ability to say, you know, if you do this, you're not going to be able to do that anymore. You know how much you like to do that. And that's not a bad thing. That was a good thing. 
You're already so busy. How can you take one more thing on? Just slow down. Take it easy. Come back down to earth. Jesus had a similar situation near the end of his ministry in Luke. He tells us in Luke, uh, I don't remember what chapter it is, 16 I think. Um, it says that, that as they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Okay, so this is someone that, that, that sees a great thing. They see the opportunity to come alongside Jesus. And work with Jesus. And what could be more important than than coming alongside and and working with the King of Kings? Being right there with Him. And He says, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said, foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay His head. Then He said to another, Jesus said to another one, you follow me. Lord, He said, first let me go bury my father. Another also said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. See, our lives are full of distractions. We want to follow him. We want to do great things. But, but we have all these other things that are vying for our attention. All these other things that are, that are the, the dens and the nests and our houses and our stuff. And we've got we to get all that in order. We've got to get all that right. We've got to take care of all this stuff. I have all these other responsibilities. Let me first do that, God. Then I'll be about the great thing. You know, there's no end to the little stuff. There's no end to the good stuff. Tim Keller, on these verses in Luke, says, Do you know what kind of Savior I am? This is what Jesus is saying. I'm not the kind that rallies constituents, pulls together armies, and then triumphs. I'm a Savior who saves through being condemned, through dying, through giving my heart to be broken. Let's apply this to one area of your life. I see that you have a home, a nice standard of living. Are you willing to put me before that? Are you willing to lose those things for me? He said, because that's what following me is about. It's about setting everything else aside. It's about me being first. It's about getting all of the good, all the distractions, everything else behind. The other two men that came to Jesus, they had family issues to tend to. There's nothing wrong with having a funeral for your father or saying goodbye to your family. But Jesus saw that these men, their family was actually, had become a distraction. That the family was put in more emphasis than the Lord was put. I think that can very easily become an issue today. Parents, who comes first? God? Or your kids. With your time. With your energy. With your talents. With your treasure. Who comes first? God or your kids? Because it's so easy that with with all of the distractions. Kids have so many opportunities. And, And we somehow have been convinced by the world. That we have to give our kids every one of those opportunities. 
And so we run them. And you know what suffers? With all of the good things that we can get our kids involved in, with all the good things that our family can be involved in, what suffers is the great thing. We lose our focus on what God's really calling us to do, calling us to be. First, let me bury. First, let me say goodbye. Now, we have to understand, too, that seems really harsh. You can't go to your dad's funeral. You've got to follow Jesus. That wasn't the issue at all. His dad, from, from understanding the culture, his dad was not dead yet. He said, let me just hang out with my dad until he's gone, and then once that part of my life is over, then I will come and follow you. That's why Jesus said, let the dead bury the dead. Jesus says, nothing can be first except me. Don't start down this road and keep looking for exits or side trips. Don't, don't, don't start down with following Jesus and say, Oh, wait a minute, just let's put that on hold and I'm going to go over here and do this. Because this sounds interesting. This, this seems like a good thing. Satan loves to distract us. Satan loves to dangle good things in front of us if it's going to keep us from the great thing. He's content with two steps forward if he can occasionally get us to take one backwards. Distractions keep us from the great thing. Discouragement keeps us from the great thing. Look at verse 6 and 7. This letter that came from Sanballat says, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. <clears throat> Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have been appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will go back to the king, so come let us meet together. Sambalot's like, look, Nehemiah, I know what you're doing. I know what you're all about. You're, you're rebuilding this city and, and you're now kind of the governor and, and you're really going to set yourself up as king. What do you think Artaxerxes is going to think about that? When this gets back to the king, what do you think he's going to think? We better meet. I want to help you with this. He created a whole hornet's nest that wasn't even there. Spreading a rumor as to the motivation for building the wall. They're, they're going to rebel and, and Nehemiah set himself up as king. That would have been treason against Persia. That would have been the death penalty if this word ever got back. So, I better stop building the wall and take care of this issue. I better set things right. I better go back the 900 miles and make sure that Artaxerxes didn't hear what this was. I mean, you make sure that it was just a rumor. It didn't really happen. I'll get back to the wall later. Right now, I have this thing in front of me that, that I've got to take care of. Well, that wasn't Nehemiah's response. You know, we live in a day where many people outside the church misunderstand what the church is all about. They misunderstand what it is we're trying to do. They see it through social and political eyes rather than spiritual eyes. Same as Sambalot. Sambalot says, I know why you're building this wall. You're going to build an army. 
You're going to conquer this land. You're going to overthrow Artaxerxes. You're going to set yourself up as king. Nehemiah had none of that intention. His intentions were purely spiritual to just honor God. To honor God with his life. To honor God in the city of God. That, that right now the, the, the whole idea was that because Jerusalem was a disgrace, God is a disgrace. And we can't have that. But if you see things only through social or political eyes without spiritual eyes, for a long time, the last thing I wanted people to know was that I was a pastor. Not because I was ashamed of the profession, but because I, I knew as soon as I said I was a pastor, their response to me was going to change. They were going to back up. They were going to watch what they said. They weren't going to be real with me. Because they had this stereotypical idea of how they should respond to a pastor or how, or, or how I was going to respond to them. One of the best compliments early on that I ever got was someone said, I didn't think you were a pastor. <laughs> I did have to step back and go, I wonder why they said, what did I do that they would not believe I was a pastor? But the world has preconceived ideas as to what we are about. Stereotypes, and sometimes we step right into them and give them all the ammunition they need. There will be rumors about what we are about. About what Mac is about. About what Muncie Alliance Church is about. There will be rumors. People are going to come up with ideas and say, Well, I heard this is what you guys are doing over there. I heard this is happening over there. Well, I can't believe you're doing this. You know why I know that's going to happen? Because it already has. It already has. I've already had people come to me and say, I can't believe you said this. I never said that. I never said what they were saying. They were, they were saying things about me and saying things about Mac that weren't even close to the truth. I've already had to say there is nothing to these rumors that are spreading. Someone is inventing them in their mind. But there's gonna, that's going to happen. And, and what our human response is, well, I've got to fix that. I gotta run out there and put out all those fires. I gotta, I, I gotta, I gotta correct this. I gotta make this right. I gotta. People need to understand what we're about, what we're doing. That wasn't Nehemiah's response. He didn't worry too much about it. There's distractions that are gonna keep us from a great thing. There's discouragement, rumors, lies that can keep us from a great thing. And then there's just plain old intimidation. What, what other people seem to be doing, what other people seem to be saying. Verse 10 says, One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mahatabel, who was shut in at his home. He said, Let us meet in the house of God, inside the temple, and let us close the temple doors, because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. Now, we have to understand that Shemaiah was actually a priest. So in their culture, in their understanding, he got messages from God. 
He would hear. He could understand and see what was happening. And so when he comes to Nehemiah and says, I've got to save your life. Your, your life's being threatened. Come meet me at the temple. Meet me at the temple. We'll go into the temple and there you will be safe. And then you can continue this great work that you're doing. You know what would have happened if Nehemiah had followed Shemaiah into the temple? He was a layman. He was not a priest. He wasn't allowed in the temple. His name would have been ridiculed. It would have been considered sinful. He would have been drugged through the streets. His reputation would have been shot if he had followed through with the intimidation. If he had allowed that to distract him. If he had allowed that intimidation to discourage him. Now maybe our intimidation doesn't come through death threats. But we can lose sight of the mission by focusing on what others are doing and saying. Even in the name of Jesus. Even good things. Should I run away? Should I just quit what I am doing? The friend who indirectly got me started on running every single day, today will be day 87 in a row, if my ankles and my knees hold out. His name is John. And he asked me to write a guest post on his daily blog about streaks. And I said, you mean like the joy of streaking? He didn't really respond to that. I hope he understood it was to be funny. But he has a blog that's called 300 Words a Day. And he writes every single day. It is a discipline of his. And he limits the blog to 300 words. And and when he said, would you write, would you be a guest post on my blog, that meant that I had to take my point and flesh it out in roughly 300 words. That's not very many. I can't usually introduce myself in 300 words. Did I mention that John has a PhD in rhetorical theory and criticism? You know what that means? I had to look it up. It means he analyzes words and phrases. And I have to take what's in my head about a running streak and why I do it and what we can learn from it, condense it down to 300 words that he is going to critically analyze. Intimidated? Yeah, slightly. Did I do it? Yeah, I did it. He didn't change a word. He may have wanted to. But he didn't. To me, it kind of felt like Steph Curry or or LeBron James saying, Hey, Harris, the next time I'm fouled, I want you to go to the line and shoot the free throws. And just to be honest, I'd have felt more comfortable shooting the free throws than writing that blog post. Because I've done free throws before. I've hit several in a row. I could have said, I can't write as well as John. And so I'm not going to do it. I can't do what he's doing. I can't do what they're doing. Look at at the great thing that 
that they are doing. Look at the incredible talent that they have in doing what they... I can't do that. We can become intimidated by what others are doing. Should I run from the opportunity to do this? There are a lot of people who are better than us. Doing more for the kingdom than us. Seemingly have their life more in order than us. They're better parents than us. They're better spouses than us. They're just plain better people than us. Does that mean I stop? Does that mean because I can't be them that I can't be me? There are a lot of other churches doing good things. There are a lot of churches even doing great things. We need to do what they're doing. I saw a church once that did this. We need to start a food bank. We need to to offer an after school program. We need to offer a sports program for kids. I saw this happen. I saw that. And I... That that can be intimidating. That can be discouraging. That can be... And it can all be good stuff. In every instance, Nehemiah held on to one thing that kept him going. Every time there was the distraction, every time there was discouragement, every time there was intimidation, Nehemiah held on to one thing, and it's in verse 3. I am doing a great work. Why should I stop? Do you know what the biggest enemy of great is? Good. The biggest enemy of great is good. It's not bad. It's not horrible. It's not doing it. It, it's, it's, this is a great thing, but I'm going to do a good thing. So here's our principle for today. Doing great things means saying no to merely good things. That's not easy. Because there's a lot more good than there are great. There's a lot more good things to get involved in, good things to spend our time and our talents and our treasures in, than there are great things. The great works that God calls us to many times gets lost by all the good things that we're doing. That's why we establish vision. That's why we establish mission. That's why we establish values that that all act as guardrails to help us keep about the great thing. To not get distracted. To not take the exit. To not chase the rabbit. To the great thing that God has called us to do. That in order to do the great thing, you're going to have to say no to the good things. Some of them. Can I just say how great it is? be here at Muncie Alliance Church because I truly believe we're doing a great thing. I truly believe that we are about a great thing. For two years before I ever stepped foot in Muncie, the elders were listening to God together to determine what is the great thing. What is the great thing that we, Muncie Alliance Church, we Mac are to be about? And they said, we are about the business of reconciling people to God. Oh, that's a great thing. That's a great thing. 
We are, we are all about the business of reconciling people who are separated, spiritually distracted, spiritually intimidated, spiritually discouraged or misinformed. We're about reconciling them, bringing them back into a relationship with God. I don't know about you, but I want to be able to say, I am doing a great work. Now, what is a great work? How do, we, how do we distinguish good from great? With all these options, how do I know that something's just merely good and not great? Let me give you a, a few things. A great work is God-initiated and God-accomplished. It's not up to me. We humans just simply join Him in what He is already doing. John chapter 5 verse 17, one of my favorite verses says this, My Father is always at His work and to this very day I too am working, Jesus said. My Father is always at His work. My Father is always doing great things. And Jesus says, I too am always working. Well, if we look at our lives, we're really busy. But are we busy about the great things? The things God is doing, the thing God is initiating, the thing God is accomplishing. Second thing is, not only God initiated, but great things are something bigger than you. Nehemiah, two and a half miles of wall around God's city. I don't know how high, I don't know how thick, but if it was going to protect the city, it was going to have to be pretty significant. 900 miles away from home, the opposition that he faced on a daily basis, requiring over the organization of 40,000 people to get this done, that's bigger than him. He had to know it was bigger than him before he set out on it. So when we say we are responsible for reconciling all of Delaware County to God, to, to Ball State University, to the ends of the earth... That's bigger than me. That's bigger than you. That's bigger than us. That has to be God initiated. That has to be God accomplished. Another thing to determine if it's good or great is that a great thing is going to take time to accomplish. It's not going to be done just like that. We sometimes want the quick thing, don't we? Just let me get in, do the thing, step out. That was great. Yeah, maybe. More than likely it was good. You may have even done a great job at a good thing. But when God sets out and puts a great thing before us, it's not going to be done in a day. But every day, the choices that we make matter in whether we are going to get it done. The job's not going to be done in a day, but every day we're going to make choices that help us determine whether we are going to be able to get it done. He spent four months praying. He spent three to four months traveling. He spent almost two months completing it. Now our job of this ministry of reconciliation will never be complete. We're studying out on a start date with no end date in sight. This is an ongoing job. This is an ongoing responsibility. To reach the lost. Visions of seeing seven or eight hundred people in this room. Are we done then? Are we done when we just simply fill this room? Is that our goal, to fill the room? 
What if we want to fill the room twice on Sunday? What if we want to fill the room three times on Sunday? Three times on Sunday, once on Saturday. Or what if we just want to fill this room and then take two or three hundred people and ship them off and establish another spot where the gospel is proclaimed? That job's never done. It's not going to happen in a day. It's going to take time. It's going to be a slow start. Initial steps, relationships that have to be built, prayer that has to, to, to cover the whole thing, to the revision of my life, my time, my treasure. I have to be able to prepare and sustain this growth. Let me ask you this. Are we ready for a hundred more people to come through those doors? And bring their 50 kids with them? Okay, we were good with the hundred people. But when we realized 50 more kids, Rachel just started shaking. Because we even have trouble right now, space-wise and teacher-wise and leadership-wise, with the hundred kids we have. It's going to be a slow start. It's going to be a process. We're going to need more small group leaders. We're going to need more children's ministry workers. We're going to need to be creative with our space. We're going to have to think through this. We're going to have to prepare for what God is going to do. Here's another thing to know whether it's difference, good or great. None of these are carved into stone. But many times God calls us to the great thing that may we may not know anything about how to do it. Nehemiah was a cupbearer to the king. I'm guessing he had soft hands. Probably had never really worked with tools much, much less knowing how to lay brick and build a wall. And yet God called him. Sharing your grace story with another person can be intimidating. One of, men in, one of Nehemiah's many prayers is in verse 9 in this spot where, he's, where he has this intimidation, this fear, and he said, God, strengthen me. It has to be our daily prayer. Because what we are setting out to do is bigger than any one of us. And many of us don't know anything about how to go about doing it. And so we pray, Lord, strengthen me. Because as the old saying goes, God does not call the equipped. He equips the called. He's going to give us what we need for the moment in the moment. And here's the last one to determine if what you are setting out to do is good or great. You can, if it is great, you cannot not do it. You cannot not do it. It has to be done. You have this burning fire within you that you have to do it. That you have to be involved in this. Even to the point of, yeah, okay, the other good things are going to have to go. Because this is the great thing. This is the thing I have to do. Whenever a young person has come up to me and said they felt called into full-time ministry. They feel like they, they want to be a pastor, or God's calling them to the mission field. The first thing I tell them to do, do everything else. Do anything but that. Try to bury that idea. Take three or four months and move in a different direction. 
And at the end of those three months, if you can't get it out of your head, then pursue it. It's probably a great work that God is calling you to. I've known many that have felt the call and then jumped, ran right into it, and failed miserably. That's the slow start. That's the, that's the, 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 the allowing God to build that. That's the very first principle. The very first principle that is if we don't have, if our heart is not broken for the lostness of this city, then our heart will never be engaged in the renewal of it. And sometimes that takes time for God to develop that brokenness in us. It takes prayer for, to allow God to move within us, to get us to the point where we say, I cannot not do this. That's a great work. And great works matter. Nehemiah said, I'm doing a great work. I can't come down with you. I can't come down and meet with you. What does I can't come down mean for you? What is the thing you can't do because you are doing a great work? Because all the other good things, I can't do that because I'm doing this. What does the can'ts look like in your life? What is it that God is saying, don't involve yourself with that. Yeah, that's a good thing. This is a great thing. This is what we're to be about. We're setting out on a great work, on this ministry of reconciliation where every person matters. Every, every brick, every person standing guard, every person hauling water, every building relationships with neighbors, with, with praying for the lost, leading a small group, leading in children's ministry, going overseas, serving the people of Muncie. It is a great work. All with the purpose of bringing glory to God in the lives of people where the glory has been lost. What is your great work? And what is it that you've got to leave behind? Father, this morning, we acknowledge that you are working. That you are doing a great work in our midst. You are doing a great work here in Muncie. You have called us to a great work as your church, as your body, as Mac. Father, I pray that you would, over as we've been going through these last several weeks, continue to develop that heart of brokenness for the lostness, for this ministry of reconciliation that you have given us. Father, that we begin to take it serious, that we begin to, to see the brokenness in the lives of the people that we are in that we come in contact with day in and day out. Our neighbors, our co-workers, our kids, friends, parents. Lord, may we say with Nehemiah, we are doing a great work. We can't get involved in that. Help us to determine what is great and leave behind what is good, just merely good. To your glory, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Would you please stand? How great is our God. Sing with me. How great is our God. And all will see how great, how great. Sing one more time. How great.
was in that upper room 
on the night that he was to be betrayed and talking with his disciples. He says, if you know me, you will also know my father. From now on you do know him and have seen him. Lord said, Philip, show us the father and that's enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been among you all this time without your knowing me, Philip? The one who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I speak to you, I do not speak on my own. The Father who lives in me does His works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. I assure you, the one who believes in me will also do the works that I do. He will do even greater works than these. Because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, in the Father's name, I will do it. We have great works in front of us. We have great opportunities to glorify God with our life. To to bring the gospel to a people who have not heard. Maybe never heard. I'm amazed... Uh, today when, when I, I meet someone who's never been inside a church in the United States, has never read the Bible. We live in a different world than what many of you grew up in and what even I grew up in. And we have a great work in front of us. But we have a great God behind us. A great God who goes beside us that will accomplish this great work in the lives of people. Amen? I hope you have a great week. This is going to be a great week for us as we're doing a great work week with VBS. If you're not already scheduled to come and be a part, you just show up. There's always work to be done. Jane Ann has asked for a prayer. If there's anyone else who would like uh, the elders and our prayer team to pray for them, you can come up too as we dismiss. But have a great week.